Welcome to Behind the Line, where we pull back the curtain on the challenges facing first responders and frontline workers. The work you do is unique, and so are the stresses that go with it. Join me as we tackle key issues to reduce risks for burnout, and as we work to support you in doing the job you love without sacrificing being the kind of person you want to be. Hey there, and welcome back to Behind the Line. I'm your host, Lindsay Foss. If you're new to Behind the Line, what you should know about me is that I'm a clinical counselor specializing in trauma therapy. And after over a decade working with first responders and frontline workers around issues like burnout, compassion fatigue, PTSD, and related OSIs, I have become a passionate wellness advocate and educator for those who sacrifice so much for our communities out on the front lines. Behind the Line is a place for us to talk about the real-life behind-the-scenes challenges facing you on the front lines. I created this podcast with the hope of bringing easy access to skills for wellness, allowing you to find greater sustainability both on the job and off. Today, we are continuing into a new series called Family of Frontline Heroes, where I get the chance to speak with spouses and adult children of frontline helpers who will be sharing about their experiences, the challenges that they've faced, the joys associated with supporting someone on the front lines, and the needs they see for both frontline helpers and the families that love them. My hope is that all of you listening will also encourage your family members to listen in and connect more together around how the job is served, not only by you, but also by your loved ones vicariously. And I hope that This offers opportunities to open new conversations around what's cool about it, what's hard, and how you might support one another in the midst of it. I am so delighted to be joined today by Kristen. Kristen has been a police wife for 10 years to her Los Angeles Metropolitan Police husband. She's a working mom of two boys ages five and seven. She started at Heels and Holster, a supportive online community for police wives in 2021. She's the author of Heels and Holster, a police wife devotional available on Amazon. She's known for her funny, relatable short form videos on Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube. She also has a blog that you can find at heelsandholster.com. Let's get started. Welcome, Kristen. I'm so excited to have you with me today and to get to chat with you about your experience as a frontline worker wife. Um, I wonder if we can start with you just maybe sharing a little bit about yourself and your relationship to someone in law enforcement. Sure. So I have been married to a Los Angeles-based metropolitan police officer for almost 10 years. In May, we'll be celebrating 10 years that he's been on like 16 years. So even before we were married. Mm-hmm. That's amazing. Well, and so maybe tell me a little bit about yourself and your life and, and how that's been to be married to someone who is a police officer. So I'm also a mom. That's super important to me. We have two little boys. They're five and seven. Um, and when we first got married, we were long distance. So I feel like everything kind of in our marriage, like, and the, the impact that my husband being a law enforcement officer had on us was like highlighted once we had kids, but also because I officially moved to Los Angeles to be with him when we first had our first son Maverick. So it was like 
basically had Maverick in a month, um, mostly because I was starting my career at the beginning too. So I was moving, I moved to Hawaii and then Las Vegas to start my career, which helped us mm-hmm. now because I'm a professor and it's like a teacher schedule and lovely um, and totally. pretty, like not perfectly flexible, but pretty good, like um, to be a mom. So that helped us. And I feel like that was, it was needed. And I didn't really know that yet um, going into it. My family wasn't law enforcement or anything. I have like my dad and grandparents were military and stuff like that, but not like when I, my dad was already done by the time I was a kid and could remember it. Mm. So um, something that's kind of funny is like, we didn't have any guns in the house. My mom mostly, <laughs> she had a metal bat like under our their bed. And my mom was the one to go get it <laughs> if needed. Like that's sort of a funny thing. Right. To um, but yeah, so I didn't grow right. up like, what's that? To protect herself. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, so anyway, I, I didn't grow up around it, so I didn't really know what to expect. Um, but yeah, so I'm working mom too. And, um, we kind of live outside the city. That's some, so Rick commutes, um, like a while, like 45 minute minimum, probably I get to work. Wow. So, but that's partially cause I work in like a suburb area of LA and then he also doesn't want to live in LA so he can kind of mm. separate physically his space from work. Yeah, yeah, totally. I mean, it sounds like that's a little bit strategic on a few different levels for you guys. Yeah, yeah, he definitely, he'll tell you, like, he likes to relax on his days off. And like, honestly, he wants to move, not right now, because we're still working, but he already wants to like buy a property in Central California, like get away, like from like any city. city. Um, And like where it's quiet. And I have this kind of funny, like last time we went camping, we're in um, Big Sur, like right on this little river. It was super quiet. And like, it was in the off season. I think it was last spring or anyway. And um, so like not really summertime was kind of chilly. And he's like, I want to live here. And I was like, live here, like in the tent. Okay. I am pretty girly. (laughs) Like I camp with my family and I love it, but I was like, live here, like in the tent. And he says, yeah. And I was like, oh my gosh, like, but it kind of hit me later. Like, it's like funny, but then it's like, I think he just wants quiet, like that bad, you know? And I was like, dang, okay, well, I would live in a house over here, but. (laughs) We can build a cabin. It can be real cute. Yeah. (laughs) But it still needs plumbing. Thank you very much. Yes, thank you. Right? (laughs) Oh, I hear that. Yeah, that's fair. I'm super curious, like as someone who didn't grow up with, first responders directly in your, in your sphere and not having strong expectations about what that was going to be like when you knew that you were moving and you're starting this life in a family with this person, what did you imagine um, what that was going to be like for you? Like, what did you assume about it? Yeah, that is a good question. I don't think I, I don't know. I knew the schedule was crazy. Like, and there were trickles in of like throughout our relationship um, like I hadn't dated him 10 years. So before, and so he was even, he wasn't a cop before, but his dad had been. So I actually reflected and like, I wrote a devotional book for police wives and like, I write it chronologically from like, even the first time remembering him talking about his dad, cause his dad was injured on duty. And I remember like his dad had lost, um, hearing, I think in his left ear, he was shot in the head at a domestic violence um, situation, like when Rick was like six. So it was a long time ago, but like it affected him and his family, Mm -hmm. like the rest of their lives. But, um, so I like remembered back to that moment and then mostly like more like engaged and, um, even 
Yeah. Anyway, we did it on and off. So the last kind of time was a couple years before we like got married that we were back together. That's when like I would hear stories of things um, that happened at work. He was working um, like South Central gang unit. So so like, and I would ask him at work. I was in Hawaii for a while, so we'd like long distance, and he'd call me after work. That's how we would communicate, even though it was the middle of the night in Hawaii. I was like, whatever. At least we could talk every day, and I'd be like, how's work? And Rick isn't a talker, so he'd be like good. It's okay. Whatever. And he's like, I don't like, and he told me one time, I don't like to talk about work. People keep shooting each other. Like it's not fun to talk about. And yeah, what do you say to that? You know? So there was like those trickles in of like, I knew the schedule was crazy. I knew he worked a lot. Um, but I don't think you can really anticipate what that means for you until you're in it, you know, like, cause then we, we have Maverick. I am like this new mom. I don't know anyone in LA. And it was like, and he's not there like a lot, you know? So, um, yeah, I think like the harshness of it settles in that, like when you're in it, you know? Um, yeah. yeah. Hmm. So how do you feel like his profession has shaped you and your family since being in that and having that exposure and experience together? I think it becomes part of who you are. Um, like, I feel like because I have an Instagram page that's all about like being a police wife, but obviously it's not everything of who I am, but it has shaped us a lot, um, especially in the last couple of years with like um, the heightened BLM movement. Um, and there's been like, because we live in a really liberal place, so there's a lot of that. Um, it it kind of makes you find like, I call it places and spaces that are safe and like supportive of you. They don't have to be fellow like police families, but people who kind of just get you anyway, who have empathy and like support you. Um, I wrote down, like I was at a share that just, there was a music class um, that we took Leonidas, my second child to just a little toddler class. And Rick had come probably like he was off, that day, but he carries his gun on him. I know that's different in Canada, but here it's mm-hmm. legal for them to do it. And they are told like, Hey, even though you're not on duty, you're always on duty. So yeah. Rick's like, if I'm on duty and other people have guns here, like I got to have mine. And his dad carried too. So it's kind of generational mm-hmm. that he like still does that, but it's, it's always on him. That's like a part of him. I don't really notice it anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like on his belt holster. And mm-hmm. anyway, we wanted to sign up for this music class. We were just doing like a trial class for Leonidas. And um, I, I had contacted them after like, hey, can I want to sign up permanently and never like heard back. And a couple weeks later, I get this call that's all awkward from the person from like a Parks and Rec office here locally. And she's like, I'm sorry, but is that, was that your husband that was there with you? And I was like, yeah. And she said, someone saw a gun on him. And I was like, oh, mm. like he's a cop. It's a, it's legal. And he could show you his badge. Like, it's fine. And she says, well, is he on duty? And I was like, well, like, and I tell you what I just said. I told her what right. I just told like, you. Like, oh, well, they're told they're always on duty and it is legal in the state. And she's like, well, another parent was concerned. Can you just like not have him on it on him? And I was like, no, like, I guess we're not coming back to this, you know? So like, it's like, it's interesting, but it kind of affects like everything. It affects like the school our kids go to now, like finding a place where we know they're not going to hear like negative things about police. Like it affects everything. And like the extracurricular activities, you just, you don't want to be around that. Like he has to deal with that at work all the time. Um, but Anywho, and it's such a bummer because, like, you could see that situation where, like, hey, actually, there's this person that is there to keep us safe, 
not the opposite of like making you feel uncomfortable. Anywho, so. Mm -hmm. Well, and there are just so many tensions. And I think especially right now, like we've been through this period of time where there's different like experiences and exposures and awarenesses and voices and, um, and there are beautiful things about that. And there are hard things about that. And it is this tension holding place. And, and I think we talk a lot about what it's like from the perspective of being the person with the badge that it feels like to hold those tensions. I don't know that we talk a lot about what it's like to be the people behind the scenes, loving that person who is in those situations and the vicarious impact that has for things like a music class, like who would have known that that would have vicarious impact for something as like normal as a toddler music class. Mm -hmm. Right. And so just like, yeah, walking in this world is, it's a hard thing and it is harder now, I think, than it's been in a lot of ways for a long time. Um, And I appreciate that story. Thanks for that, Kristen. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, It's like, there's simpler things because I think, um, that like kind of that awkwardness around guns or like the police hate or like the bigger things. But like, I was thinking back to even, um, I, I was trying to do like all natural birth. It didn't happen, but I was, I was going to prenatal yoga classes and, and like the woman that ran it, she had like, um, just natural birth class, but it was outside and you were supposed to like do it with your partner. And I looked at the schedule and I was like, well, Rick's schedule changes every 40, every, I'm sorry, every 30 days. Um, no, every like four week period. So it's like a 30, it's like a 30 ish day thing. And so we don't know what his schedule will be like in the next month. And it doesn't correspond with the calendar month. I always want to clarify that because that's like awkward and really awkward with planning as a family as well. But anyway, so I'm looking at it and I'm like, maybe he could make some of these classes with me, maybe not. So I asked the teacher who I like respected a lot, like, Hey, are the husbands usually there? Because it was like a five 30 class, like designed for a nine to five or kind of thing on like, who knows, Wednesdays or whatever. And I'm like, yeah. he sometimes he works Wednesday, sometimes he doesn't, like, who knows? And she's like, yeah, they usually are there. It's really important. And I was like, oh, because like, I would totally attend it on my own and like, give him, tell him yeah. what happened, or we could practice on our own time or whatever. But I was like, oh, okay. So like the schedule alone, mm-hmm. beyond like anything else, right? Like of just shift work, which I'm sure comes with any like frontline work that alone is like kind of hard to work around well, and then um. yeah I mean it's funny because I we talk about a, the shift work piece a lot on this show but often from the lens of being the frontline worker right and it's interesting because a lot of people will complain about things like it's really hard to have a hobby it's really hard to right like join a drop-in basketball team or like do whatever, right? Sign up for a class or the different things we might like to do with our off time because I can't commit to every Wednesday from six till eight. I can be there for half of them maybe, but probably not most. Um, And I don't think I ever thought about it from the perspective of being um, someone in the immediate family of a frontline worker that you would equally be held to those same kind of challenges that um, well, you might not be the one working those hours without having that other person who can like come home and watch kids, or if it's an activity that we intend to do together, that that equally limits you and restricts you from being able to access things that other people, normal people have the ability to access. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Yeah, I think it was funny. Just yesterday, we had a neighbor over and she's an EMT wife and she's a teacher. Mm-hmm. And like, I think then whoever the spouse is, I always wonder about, because I know there's people that are two, two yeah. frontline workers, like two police officers or whatever married to each other. I'm like, then who does the other stuff? Because that I would do, you know, like they <laughs> must have work? to have, they have to have family or they have to have a nanny that yeah. they're paying like a lot to do these like yeah. weird shifts. But um, yeah, because I'm like, I'm, I learn. It took me time and I got frustrated over and resentful over at the beginning. Mm. Yeah. It, like I had to learn. I can't count on him. Not because mm-hmm. it's like his fault personally, but like because of his job, he cannot be there for me. He's not dependable. It sounds so bad, but it's like, because even if he's scheduled to work like a certain shift, like right now he's on day shift. It's a beautiful thing. I thought I would love it, but guess what? Like it, it, I used to kind of get like a break. Oh, like he could pick them up on Monday after yeah. school. Cause he's off. Nope. Like he's working t- anyway, Monday through Friday. Sometimes there's one of those days off. I don't know which day <laughs> regularly, but yeah, <laughs> totally. so, so I kind of learned like, okay, I'm the one that always has to drop off the kids and pick up the kids. And if he happens to be off, that's great. And then I celebrate it rather than mm-hmm. like getting frustrated that, like, hey, you're supposed to be off Tuesday and now you're not anymore. And now I'm stressed because now it's on yeah. me, you know? So like, totally. I think some other wife who's like veteran wife, I feel like she, her, she's been married and retired now, like married 30 plus years. She told me, she's like, we do take on more than other wives and like, and that's okay. So then we have to just like I did, like, okay, I found that I needed daycare like three days a week to be able to do my life because Rick wasn't yes. able to kind of help regularly um with the kids for example like we have to accommodate that then like whatever that is if you have to get after school care like whatever that is um but it's a bummer because sometimes you might not need it sometimes you're paying Mm -hmm. for it and then you don't need it because they end up with the day off and they want to be with the kids or whatever but you have to like set your life up to know that they can't be there which is sad but it's the truth Mm -hmm. and then you get like I said like happy instead of frustrated like okay they are off they can help and this is nice you know it sounds like it requires a lot of like adaptability that like to be someone who has the characteristic of being someone who's quite flexible and adaptable would be a really great advantage as the spouse and partner to someone who's in this kind of work, because it sounds like it calls for like very frequent adapting. I know. I'm thinking like, I don't know that I would ever identify as that person. So that's why like for me, I have to plan ahead that like, okay, because at least we do know we schedule like every the four week period or whatever. So then sure. like he usually emails it to me and I tell other wives to do this too, like get the schedule. I put, he doesn't keep a calendar. He like lives day to day. So I keep two. Yeah. I have a family calendar like at home, but that's like at my kids level and they can see like when he's working and whatever. And then I have my Google calendar where that's like my work and personal and the kids extracurricular, mm-hmm. like everything. And it's like nice for me to look at it, anticipate, okay, like he's going to be working these three weekends in a row and it's just me and the kids. Like, what are we doing? Cause I'm going to keep us busy. So we're like yeah. entertained and happy and like, I'm not lonely and all that stuff. But mm-hmm. I think, so it's funny cause I'm not, I would say I'm like this adaptable, but like, as long as I can plan ahead, I feel better, you know? Yeah. So. Fair enough. Fair enough. I feel like you've laid out some really fantastic challenges that you experience as someone who is partnering a frontline worker. I'm curious if there's any others that you'd like to add that we missed. I know. I actually like asked um, my like community on Instagram recently. And it was interesting because the first, the top one was solo parenting. I think that a lot of my followers on Instagram, like my community are, have young kids like I do. I'm kind of, 
I'm kind of ending the like baby toddler preschool mm. age now, but it's still, it's interesting. There's always like, I think in parenting, new challenges that come up with like totally. now they're busy because now they have responsibility to go to school and they have the extracurricular and like the other, the EMT wife and I were talking about that. Like you have to, like I literally tomorrow, I have like two activities for each one, one activity each for each boy. So it's like, all right, we're going to school to go back to one activity and then drive to the other. And it's like, it's a lot and if you had two parents that could help I guess one would drive one kid to one or who knows but anyway yeah so it was interesting because that was like the top thing and I do think like I said that's when things got really heightened for us but also that's like the first time we were living together full-time when we had our first baby um and I think those come together for me personally so the the top one was solo parenting like being that um, kind of alone with your kids a lot and at odd times, right? Like you're alone with your kids on the weekends and evenings when most other people are with their family. So then like, I was lucky cause I had a girlfriend who I met in a mom group. Like when I first had Maverick that like, she would get together with me on the weekend. She was a working mom too. So that was like her time mm-hmm. to go out and sure. like hang out. So we would have like play dates and plan ahead. I'd be like, Rick's working a lot of weekends. Like let's get together and have a play date. And I feel like that helped my loneliness too. That like is the other common thing. Um, and then the other one, like anxiety, which actually I was listening to one of your like other podcast um, episodes mm-hmm. about, I don't know. It was about parenting, but it, you guys brought up like, um, from the, from the perspective of the first responder, not really from mine, but I I feel like mine's like secondary, secondary stuff that I get from him. But, um, I do think we have more anxiety around our, our law enforcement officers being at work and what they're going through and if they're safe and they're going to come home and all that. But I also think I hear, it's just little stories, little things that Rick will say that now I'm freaked Mm -hmm. out. You know, like we had a neighbor boy who was the cutest little guy and his, he was like three and his family would let him play outside our alleyway all alone. And I told Rick, like, I'm afraid he's going to get hit by a car or something because he's little and like people do go fast and stuff. And he's like, no, I'm afraid he's going to get picked up. And I was like, oh, Mm -hmm. right. But now I have like, that's the more reasonable worry. Oh, (laughs) Yeah. yeah, and I, but now this is stuck in my head. So I'm like constant yeah. when I'm with the kids, even now, five and seven, like a lot of people will drop their kids off for like a, after school activity, like Maverick who's seven. Mm-hmm. I won't. I'm there. I'm watching him. I make sure like wherever we are at the park, I can see them. And I always tell Maverick, I need to see you and you see me. You can go far as long as I can see where you are, you know, like at the mm-hmm. park. But I think like we get the secondary stuff that now yeah. we're more like I call it paranoid. Rick doesn't love that term, my husband, but like mm-hmm. um, more, mm-hmm. he just says realistic. <laughs> it's like, we're just realistic and aware. Of it. <laughs> that like, is really such happening. a real answer. <laughs> yes. I love but, it. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I think that one. And so yeah, anxiety is like a big one. I think a lot of, I don't, I don't know why it sounds bad. I don't sit and worry at night, like that Rick mm-hmm. isn't coming home as much as other wives say they do. But mm-hmm. I think more of like that, worrying about my kids and that kind of stuff is like the anxiety that comes up for me. Hmm. Yeah, no, that's fair. Well, and it is, it's like a different window into the world. Right. And it is, um, I think it shapes a lot of first responders that because of what they see, they experience their home lives really differently. So they will be like differently vigilant around their kids. They'll be differently, conscientious of fears that a typical parent probably wouldn't be so conscientious of. Um, 
And that can feel kind of, I think, confusing for some partners where they're like, but why are you so worried about these things? Like, that's not my world. So it's hard to adapt that into our sense of, of how the world is. I think there are some partners I talk to who really don't want to adapt that perspective of the world into their perspective of the world. And so they find ways to just kind of like resist, um, resist that. And then I think there are others for whom it does create new levels of anxiety because you can't like unring that bell. So once it's been said, it's really hard to go back and not know that that's a fear I should maybe have more of. Behind the Line is sponsored by Beating the Breaking Point. Beating the Breaking Point is a seven-part online training program designed specifically for first responders and frontline workers and tailored to fill the gaps in your training to support resilience and sustainability. Whether you're new to the work and wanting to cultivate tools to prevent burnout, compassion fatigue, and related concerns, or you are deep into your years on the job and have gone a few rounds with burnout and other mental health challenges, This program offers the foundational pieces you need to support personal and professional wellness for the long haul. You are a helper. You love your work and you sacrifice a lot. Investing in you and your sustainability is the best gift you can give yourself and those who lean on you. We make this program as risk-free as possible by offering a limited money back guarantee to ensure that it's a fit for you. If you enjoy Behind the Line, you are going to love this program. Google Beating the Breaking Point Lindsay and find everything you need to get started or use the link in the show notes. Now back to the episode. Yeah. Yeah. That made me think of this story. So Maverick's getting older and asking more questions because he's seven, right? So like, you know, this is still my little, he's five. He's like little la la land. Like he's happy and it's lovely. And I do feel like I don't want to lose. Yeah. Like who I am. So my background social work, like I do see, she do tend to see that, like the world in a positive lens. And I think there's like, there's a role for everybody in the world. I don't want to change the way I see it, but I have had to, and I've learned to like trust Rick because let me tell you, so this is a funny story. So, and it has to do with Maverick asking about something recently. So, um, so we're driving by this restaurant in in the suburb that we live in and Maverick's like, I'm going to go there. And it's a Mexican restaurant. I love Mexican food. Okay. Like Mm -hmm. I'll go to almost every Mexican restaurant, but we have never been to this one because we were driving one day previous to that, like a year ago or whatever. And I was like, I want to go there. And Rick's like, no, we can't go to that one. Um, you know, there's a lot of, and I was like, why? And he's like, there's like, he's like, I don't know how to explain, but there's a lot of cars there at night and there shouldn't be that many cars there. And he's like, I think there's like prostitution going on there. And I was like, what? Okay. So I like have learned now because I've married him 10 years, like smile yeah. and nod, don't fight it. There's a million other Mexican <laughs> restaurants out there. Like it's fine. I, yeah, maybe there is. So over time I've gained trust in like him because before I'm like feisty and like, I think I'm an intelligent person. So we have intellectual arguments over things. Um, and I love that about our relationship. So it's fine. But, um, when we first got married, before we had Maverick, um, I had let this like maintenance guy into our apartment. It was like our brand new apartment. I don't know. The guy knocked on the door. I was home during the day. Rick wasn't. And he's like, I need to see whatever, some electrical unit. And it was in our closet. I let the guy go in. No big deal. I like never thought I would tell this story again. Right. So I randomly tell Rick 
this guy had to come in and see something. And he's like, you let him in our closet? And I was like, yeah. And he said, we have guns in there. And I was like, okay, so first of all, I didn't know that. Okay, we didn't have kids. We now have a safe, like, and I know where they are. Okay. But, and I was like, I know that he's like, how can you not see it? Like there's like shotguns in there. I was like, what the heck? Like, I don't know. Like, again, this is me just not growing up with that stuff. Okay. So, um, and he's like, well, the guy could see them and come back for them later and like rob us. And I was like, no way. Like you're crazy. Okay. So this is literally, I know this is going to probably offend any like police officer that's listening, but just keep, keep listening because, um, yes, I want to be real that like, it took me time to be a more understanding wife. Okay. I wasn't perfect. And we aren't, we're we're people. So, so like literally seven years later in our marriage, I asked Rick like, Hey, what happened at work last night? A lot of times it's just like, it was good and whatever. He doesn't give me much. And he was like, actually, he's like, last night I got to catch a robber. And I was like, Oh, that's cool. He's like, you like this story. And he says there was a person pretending to be a maintenance guy in an apartment complex going apartment to apartment. And then he'd like, you know, they'd let him in and he would rob them. And um, kind of cool story because Rick normally here, they go in pairs, their partners, and he didn't have a partner that day and he needed help to like find where it was a huge apartment complex to find where the guy was. And he had like a helicopter above who told him like where he was in the courtyard and Rick went and cuffed him and it was like cool. And I was like, that does sound really cool. Okay, but I'm thinking back that day to like seven years before how Rick was right. so mad that I like let this guy into our, our apartment. I was like, what is wrong with you? Yes. But it took seven years for me to be like, oh my gosh, like that's why. Because yeah. he, saw, he doesn't always articulate, he didn't articulate, this is exactly what I've seen before. This is what's happened. You know what I mean? At that, mm-hmm. that seven years prior thing. So anyway, I shared that story with my son, Maverick, because I was like, here's the deal. Like, sometimes daddy can't tell us exactly why. Like, he sees something yeah. differently, but he sees the world differently than we do. Like, yeah. and I'm glad that he can keep us safe because he knows things we don't. And we don't need to know all those things. Like, and he always says, like, that's why we have them. Like, that's why we have law enforcement. Mm-hmm. We don't need to see everything they see. Like, that's yeah. what they're there for. But totally. we need to learn to be more empathetic and, like, understanding and just sometimes like just don't fight it and just like okay like then we're not going to go there if you're not comfortable mm-hmm. yeah i might no, never understand fair. or maybe seven years from now i will you know totally well and there's so many like i have the glory of having relationship with so many different people who are in first response work that i feel like i've got this like lengthy list of places i'll just never go um, because that thing that happened and that gang that operates there and that, you know, group who, whatever. And it's funny because my husband will be like, Hey, we should just go and do this thing. And I'm like, no, it's <laughs> like, well, why not? Uh, reasons. <laughs> I don't even have firsthand exposure to it, but I know well enough to not, we're not going there. We're not doing that thing. And I'm, I'm not going to tell you all the details why, cause you don't need to know, but so we're true. not doing that. Yeah. Really, that's even yeah. harder because you can't, you're not allowed to tell those stories probably that if there's somebody mm-hmm. else's. And so it's like Rick does prefer not to talk that much about work, but yeah. I like hearing them once in a while because they do help me, you know? So if you can't even share them, like that's super hard. Yeah. Some of them you can like, there's ways to share about the concepts or the information without being explicit or being uh, like joining it to a person that it would be like yeah. identifiable for. Mm-hmm. Um which is helpful. And as you do the job longer, you learn the ways to share that. But I've also learned that my husband's really sensitive to some of that information. So that like, I remember when I was first working, 
I was working in uh, domestic violence work and we had a woman who showed up really late in the day. And so I was going to be sticking around to help. Um, She was fleeing with kids and pets and possessions she could fit in the back of her car. Mm -hmm. And so I had called home to say, hey, I'm going to be late. And it was before we had kids. So we had time and energy, which no longer exists. Um, And I... And he had asked a couple of questions and I, and I just gave kind of that basic answer. I said, we've had someone come in, mm-hmm. they're in crisis. We need to find a location that's safe mm-hmm. for them to go for the night tonight. Um, and I'm going to have to stay late to help figure this out. Mm-hmm. Okay, no problem. I come home that night and he has baked like seven different things. Like there's cornbread and there's muffins and there's desserts and there's oh, all gosh. of this stuff. And I was like, what on earth? have you done? Why? What, what's happening? He's like, well, you mentioned that this person had kids and, and didn't have anywhere to go. And I assume doesn't have like access to food. And so Mm -hmm. I I thought I would bake some things. Can you take it to work tomorrow and give it to her? And I never had the heart and thank goodness he actually doesn't listen to the podcast. Um, I never had the heart ever to tell him that I would never see her again. Mm -hmm. Um, because we located her to a shelter and it was not where our shelter was and I would not be seeing her. We, our staff ate that baking for like months afterwards. We would like freeze it and pull it out for meetings because I didn't have the heart to like, sorry, honey, but no. Um, and I learned very quickly that he actually just can't tolerate that other people are in distress and suffering. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I really contain the kinds of stories that yeah. I bring home because he really can't cope with it. Um, and there's a version of that, like the kind of blissful ignorance of that, that I love for him. Mm-hmm. Um, there's some hilarity in some of the moments where he thinks that I'm probably a little bit of a bad person for how I make judgments about mm-hmm. life because I have a very different perspective mm-hmm. than he has. Um, but it's always fascinating to me how how our exposure really shapes um, how we exist in the world, mm-hmm. right? Like I exist in the world in a very differently conscientious of my surroundings way than he has to. And part of that is being female in a world that doesn't always feel safe. But part of that is also being differently aware of safety concerns than someone who has by and large been safe in the world. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. I'm curious for you, having named some of the challenges, um, what are some of the experiences that you've really valued or treasured as someone who is attached to somebody working on the front lines? Well, I think like the flip side to being more educated about this, like what's actually happening, what's not on the news. It's kind of nice. Like I literally stopped watching the news and even checking it in my phone. So it's kind of big ignorant of me in 2020 because there was so much hate and negativity and like it was just better for my mental health. Um, Mm -hmm. And like, I feel like Rick watches the news and um, not just local, but like even globally super into it. I'm like, you're my news. Like, just tell me what's going on. (laughs) And then like, I feel like in LA sometimes like you wouldn't even hear like, oh, there's, there are riots going on. Like it's not even on the news. And Rick will be like, yeah, don't go to LA this weekend. Like don't go into the city. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, okay, so I get more news than the average person. I feel like that's nice um, to keep us safe and, and know what's going on. And then I think like the second um, I, I think it, the experiences, if you, like, once I embraced it more, I think, like, it bonds 
Rick and me more. Um, Mm -hmm. And it bonds you with other people that like are going through it because it is unique. So like the conversation, for example, with like the EMT wake neighbor, I feel like I wouldn't have that conversation with somebody else about like the uniqueness of like juggling after school stuff alone. um, If they're, like husband can help. Although what I do know is that that's very common. Usually there is one primary parent that is doing the juggling. So whether it's first responder or not. So, um, yeah, but I think like when I started coming out more about like telling stories and stuff in 20, I did 2021, I think, um, like just Mm -hmm. dang, it's, it's a really unique community and like, it's an immediate family when you meet another police wife or fire wife or EMT, it's like, you just kind of get each other and that's lovely. There's uniqueness and mm-hmm. the police wife community, I think, with all the hate. But then I learned, like, oh, my gosh, like, here that there's fire, firefighter families that struggle with that, too. And I was like, I didn't even know that. But I've learned that since, like, kind of coming out for myself, which is nice. So the community, mm-hmm. if you let it, like, be a part of your identity and then you have, like, a family, which is lovely mm-hmm. to support you in this uniqueness. So if you think about like being able to offer and extend wisdom as someone who's been a police wife for 10 years to someone who is like newly engaged to someone who is in law enforcement or starting in law enforcement. Are there bits of wisdom that you would want to share that you wish you had maybe had or known? Yeah. I think the biggest one is to embrace it. Like, because I fought against it for a while and it wasn't good. It wasn't good for mm. me and Rick. Um, I think I, I always go back to like, I loved Rick before he was a police officer. Like I married him for him. He's not going to be a police officer forever. So mm-hmm. this is just like one chapter in your life if you are yeah. in it for the long term. Um, and so be in it with him or her, be in it with them because like you're not going to go to work with them, but you need to adapt your life around the fact that, that this is what they do for a living. And once mm-hmm. they did that, I was like so much happier. And then to everything, I was just talking about like Rick had a big injury in, on duty. Um, and like, I had to take on even more <laughs> than I normally do yeah. during that time. It was like a longer recovery yeah. than we thought. And mm-hmm. I feel like, um, but like embracing it, like this, what I need to do right now for our family. This is us. And it could have been me. Like, could, you know, I could be sick at some point and need him to step up, like, just embracing it and knowing like you're in this together, even though you don't go to work with them um, Mm -hmm. as a family and that helps. And then it does help to like adapt your life around that and meet more families that kind of get you. And, um, and then like I've talked about like shaping our lives around that, like our kids go to a school that like, I know no one's talking bad and it's all support for police, which is nice. And that might sound one-sided, but we need to protect ourselves and our mental health. So yeah, yeah, that's super fair. Okay. Well, and then on the flip side of that, are there things that you wish that from the perspective of like a Rick, right, that the first responder spouses would know about what it's like to be in your shoes and what some of the needs might be or support points might be? What would you advise from that perspective for the first responders and frontline workers listening to be considerate of as they consider their own family members at home? Yeah, I think um, because I did push back at the beginning and like I still have pushed. There's other things that like I've talked mostly about things I could accommodate. There are other things I can't. And like I feel like we accommodate a lot about living this unique life. But if there's certain things that you can't or your spouse cannot 
Um, for example, like um, for the holidays are hard for um, yeah. for first responder families, I feel like. And I told Rick, like, I wanted Christmas morning to look a certain way, whether or not he was there. And that's pretty harsh. Yeah. But I was like, I create the stability. I do feel like that in our home. And like, yeah. Christmas morning was always super special. And I didn't want it to be like, oh, we have to wait until like two o'clock in the afternoon if you worked the night before to like celebrate. I wanted mm-hmm. the boys to like wake up like Santa came and no matter what. So I told him yeah. that and like he just accepted that that wasn't something he, but he could put, he could have pushed back and that's kind of harsh of me. And I was like, mm-hmm. well, at least we could do the stockings and then we'll like wait for you for the other things or like there was a little flexibility. Yeah. And then there was another one, like he, we, we use a PO box always have but um because it like rick didn't want our address to be used a lot like due mm-hmm. to safety issues yeah. and um but it's super hard because like as a mom like especially when my boys were like more harder mm-hmm. to take out of the house like they would cry in the yes. car seat or whatever i was like grocery delivery is lovely right and like pe- like just anything being drive through house. banking like drive through pharmacy yeah, yeah. <laughs> Amazon, like, right? Like, yes, those totally. like, lovely things can come physically to your front door, let yes. alone your normal address, like, just your mm-hmm. mailbox. But, um, and like, so we've kind of, like, I think over time, like, we kind of use both now. We have the PO box, but we also have, like, our, our home address that I do use. So I think, mm-hmm. like, try to understand that, like, we're, I tell Rick, like, some days it's like survival. Like, who? I made it through the day. It was crazy. And just like try to understand that. And then like the schedule. So I kind of keep our family on like a routine, not really a schedule, but like, and Rick supports that when he's home. Like our boys kind of have a stable bedtime because they're still young. And I don't, I mean, Rick does rile them up sometimes, but he's in general, he's pretty like supportive of like our same bedtime and around the time we eat dinner, like keeping that schedule versus like just making it crazy you know, and that would stress me out because then my boys don't know what to expect. And you guys were talking about that in a previous Mm -hmm. podcast. And I loved that. Like how, when one person is home, that's not usually home as much. It does change things. And that's fine that it changes things in general. Like just the dynamic of having daddy home is like, it's good and it's amazing. But then to keep them uh, something stable. So for us, that's the routine is like really helpful. And I think that acknowledges like the place that we hold in the relationship if we are like the primary caregiver of our kids for example like we do a lot to make this happen so support that is lovely and I think Rick always has done that um but there's been times where we have to things change over your life so you got to communicate about like okay this is really meaningful for me um so that's what I would say yeah well and I think that like so much of that is like the normal stuff just kind of on speed right like I know we actually had this interaction last night. So my kids are six and eight. Um, so I get the stage you're at. I feel we're very much in it as well. Um, and my husband generally does a lot of his work in the evenings from home. But like when it's bedtime, the kids and I go up and do bath and teeth and read a book. And when we're done that process, we call him up to give hugs and kisses and good night. Um, but during that time, he's usually down in the basement puttering away on something, which is fine. I actually tend to prefer it because when he is up, it's crazier. (laughs) It's harder to manage and finish. Like it is always more drawn out when he's a part of it than when it's not. Um, and we just decided to start reading Harry Potter to our kids 
And he really wants to be a part of it. So he doesn't Mm -hmm. want to miss any chapters. And we're reading like a chapter, half a chapter a night. Mm -hmm. So he's been coming up for the last week or so Mm -hmm. as we're reading this book. And my son, who's the older one, is super interested in it. My daughter could care less. She's like super not into it. And now that there's someone else to talk to, she will talk while I'm reading. Mm -hmm. And that really irks me. Um, And he won't stop her. And so we had a conversation last night where I was like, you need to support that it's quiet time. Like you need to not be riling it up. You need to not be balancing her on your legs while you're laying down and playing airplane with her gigantic growing body. You need to not be letting her like have a whole conversation with you while I am now trying to like level up my volume so that Isaiah can hear me because you guys are goofing off. Like, you have to say to her, it's book time. If you want to chat, we got to go to another room. Like, help, help. <laughs> right? And that's like, he's home every, most nights. He's home most nights. He's home most days. He's home most yeah. of the time. Yeah. He's not super special or like, he's special, obviously. But he's yeah. not like a novelty because he's not around a lot. Mm-hmm. So I imagine it's like that, but on speed, because there's this extra novelty factor of because daddy's not home a lot, we're clamoring for this differently. And then it can amp up so quickly. Yeah. And it would be a lot of those conversations about like, but this is our routine and you're messing with it. And we yeah. love that you're a part of it, but also how does it look to try to adapt into that too? Yeah. Yeah. I love that story. Like I can totally relate. Um, yeah. I, I think, and it's interesting because you guys just introduced this like Harry Potter thing and then now, and so it's like, yeah, things change over time and you need to like check in with each other, just like any normal relationship on like, is yes. this working or is it not? And you're right. Like I said, I've said things like that. You need to support me on this. And even like discipline, you guys were talking about that in other podcasts and like, I totally yeah. connected with it. I think you were talking about this, this one, but I don't know what popped in my head right now because that comes up and like we have to be consistent on whatever the thing is, <laughs> like the challenge yeah. that's come up. Like how we're approaching it. Yeah. And it's funny, like, uh, I think I don't really talk to him on the phone a lot. So we'll text. So we'll text him and be like, hey, this happened today. Like no games tomorrow or like no, because my boys play video games. and like, okay, no video yeah. games tomorrow. What? Like I try to tell him ahead of time before he gets home. But yeah, yeah it's like, it's tough. I'm sure. Um yeah, it happens to everybody in every relationship, but it's just like exacerbated because like you might not even be able to have talk before they come home again. And like there, yeah. a lot happened, like a couple days could go by, like when he's working swing shift that we don't see him. So, yeah, um, but Ooh. we text and I feel like I love text because like he can read it when he has a moment and at least I communicated it. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, I think it's funny. So I know growing up my not from a first responder family, but my dad worked uh, project work. So he would work away from home mm-hmm. he'd often be gone for four days and then home for like three, but it's really only two because it's a travel half a day on either side. Um, and he did that from the time I was nine and he still does that. Um, and so my mom solo parented most of the time where she was mm-hmm. the one making all of the decisions and running the house and running us places like Sunday night through Thursday or Friday. And then he'd come home and Mm -hmm. throw the house into chaos for a weekend. And then he'd peace out again and she'd get us back into a groove. And anytime he would be home for more than a weekend, she would do this thing where amping up to that, she'd be like, oh, I'm so excited because Morley's going to be home for like two whole weeks. 
And then three days in, like once we've met the cusp of where he should be leaving again, she would start being like, I'm going to kill him. (laughs) I can't. He's in all the spaces and he thinks that he can just take the car and leave. And he doesn't know. Like he would just be in the way because he didn't, he doesn't do this part. He doesn't know what happens and where people would need to be. So he'd like schedule a hair appointment and leave with the one car and leave us stranded with like three activities that need to happen. And he has no clue, right? (laughs) No clue. And I always think about that experience. And like, to this day, my mom, like they are on their own, no kids at home anymore, live their separate lives, and they love each other deeply. They are very happily married, but they are more happily married when they have time away from each other because they have these established routines now. And when he's home longer, Mm -hmm. it messes up the routine for both of them. And there's a lot of like, learning curve around readapting that. So like when COVID happened and he was home for an extended period of time, my mom was calling me a lot being like, oh, Lindsay, <laughs> it does not feel okay right now. And it, fair, like that you would have to learn to adapt your own way of being. And then to have that rotate as often as it does for you guys, that would be its own version of uniquely hard. Like we always knew we could look to like Thursday and Sunday are our transition days to know that that rotates and changes and it's days and it's nights. And it's, that's a lot. Yeah. That's a lot. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I agree. Like when Rick went to day shift, cause we were like together eight years without ever having day shift. So I was like, what the heck is this? Like, and I actually always wanted it. And then we got mm-hmm. it and I was like, this isn't good. Like this, this isn't, isn't better. what I <laughs> But also the weekends off thing, it's like I never, he's been doing it over a year, year and a half now, day shift. And I am like yeah. not used to the fact that in day shift along with mostly weekdays on, yeah. I'm not used to him still being home on the weekends. So I just plan stuff mm. and like forget to tell him. Totally. I'm like, oh, like, so I, I have to watch it. Like, that's my fault. My bad. But, right. and he's not really as social as me. So I have to be like yeah. conscious. Like this last weekend, I didn't plan anything. No, like. Because mostly it's like my boys want to hang out with their friends and stuff or like birthday yeah. parties or whatever. So I was like, nope, we're not doing nothing. And um, he got a promotion recently. And that was literally like my gift to my mind was like this weekend, I don't plan anything. And we mm. just hang out because he likes to just yeah. chill, just chill with the family. Yeah. So yeah, it was kind of funny. I'm like, I'm still not used to it. But my <laughs> boys forget. So it's interesting. You were saying like your dad worked that from like eight on. You were saying that um, yeah. because this last year and a half, my boys don't remember that. Like Rick wasn't yeah. home weekends. And I'm like, you already don't remember. Like it was just us yes. so long. Um, so yeah, yeah, like it was just us and I entertained you every weekend practically. Like, but they don't remember yeah. already. And I'm like, okay, mm-hmm. I get no credit mm-hmm. for that. <laughs> no, yeah. you don't. Well, this is like, it's funny because we're at the age now, like this is eight is about the age that I really start remembering life. Like I remember grade three. I remember like I can visualize many memories earlier than that. It's like very transient. Um, And so we joke a lot in our house about how we have to be better people because we have an eight year old now. And and like from now on counts (laughs) because while the early stuff for sure neurodevelopmentally counts, yeah. He won't have like legit memory of any of that. But now if we screw anything up, he's going to remember it. Like that's going to be the stuff that he's telling his therapist about someday. Um, and I'm going to get outed on. So like <laughs> rein it in because this is the time where we have to be our best parents. 
<laughs> so we've had a lot of times where my husband will look at me and be like, this is a memory. Are you sure this is how you want to handle this moment? I'm like, I don't know. Good Maybe. Point. I don't know. Oh, no. <laughs> Rick and I, we've been saying that like when Maverick turns eight, that's a big deal. So it's funny that we have the same, not we didn't consciously say it the same way, but we're just like, he is not a little boy, like he's boy. Like, no. that's it. Yeah. And he already is yeah. turning into that. Like I call him my little teenager already. I'm like, who are yes. you? But yeah. And I don't know how you are because you deal with so many like dark things. I'm sure. But like Rick has a darkest sense of humor and mm-hmm. I have to rein that in. Like yes. well, you have a dark sense of humor, but there's certain boundaries around it. We don't, mm. we don't joke about killing or death. It, it, literally this morning I did remind him. We don't joke about that one. Like, yeah, <laughs> like that's not funny. Uh, but yeah, but it's yeah. Hard that's, I'm, I'm sure you, like, you see, it, it can be a mm-hmm. part of resiliency, right, for them. It's a joke. huge coping strategy. Right? Totally. But you've got to do it around adults that get it and know when it's appropriate. Yes. <laughs> well, that's the funny thing, right? Because a lot of people will come in and share about how they use dark humor in a crowd of, like, grown-ups, but not that kind of grown-up, and then get looked at like they're serial killers, and you're like, right, that's yeah. not the crowd. That's not the crowd for that joke, and how to, like, know when I'm in the crowd and when I get to use the things versus when I don't. I find that I'm less the dark humor, at least around my kids. Um, I am overly honest with my kids. And my husband has been mad at me a number of times because kids don't fully understand the honesty with which I'm sharing. Um, And there have been a number of awkward moments he's had to handle. Um, There was one, it was a super classic one. Um, I share quite a lot with my kids about like, being mindful allies around racial concerns. We've had a huge amount of stuff around um, truth and reconciliation with our Indigenous communities over the last number of years here in Canada. Um, And I am very conscientious of these issues and share with my kids a lot about it. It's also a topic coming up in schools more for our kids. Um, And so they come home with more questions. And when they ask, I will answer. I don't always... Mm -hmm. initiate those conversations but if they ask Mm -hmm. I will answer and I will answer as honestly as I can I attempt to keep that age appropriate Mm -hmm. hilariously my daughter's interpretation um of of the sharing I've done is not my intended interpretation so we had had some conversations about history and our history with black people and people of of other ethnic groups and um, she went into Tim Hortons, like our donut shops, kind of like Krispy Kreme there. Um, she went into Tim Hortons with my mm-hmm. husband and there was entirely the lineup ahead of them were every other ethnic group except for white. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and she loudly says, daddy, are those the people that hate us? No. And my husband's like, what? <laughs> and she's like, mommy said that people with dark skin hate us. And oh, I was like, no. mommy did not say that. Mommy never said that. Mommy said that we have hard history where we did not treat people very nicely oh. and there are some hard feelings and we have yeah. to do better. Yeah. That's what mommy said. Um, so I get this very angry text message from my husband that's like, you have to stop talking with our kids about race. <laughs> it's like, oh no, what happened? They handled it very well, and we've had many conversations since then, and I think we're doing better with that. But it was very interesting to, like, four-year-old's interpretations of what was said in a conversation to my six-year-old at the time that she just overheard. Super fascinating. Um, And I'm really glad I didn't have to be there for that moment. (laughs) 
<laughs> oh my gosh, that's me like texting my husband like once again. <laughs> like right. Uh, yeah. Oh yeah. well, there was a little boy who had joked with Leonidas in his kindergarten class, I guess, about like that this other little voice told Leonidas, Hey, I killed my brother. And so after oh. and if he didn't. Okay, let me clarify. He didn't. He right. was sure. or whatever, right? Okay. So after school and picking up Leonidas and his teachers telling me like, hey, so-and-so said this to him. And I was like, oh, okay, that's okay. And then she's like, no, it's not okay. And I was like, oh, yeah, it's not okay. But I knew like Leonidas could mm-hmm. take it like, and he would take yeah. it as a joke. Because we, again, might really try not to joke about that stuff. But I feel like because we are sarcastic and we joke a lot, like he mm-hmm. wouldn't take that seriously because we had just seen yeah. him and his brother the previous day too. But I was right. like, oh yes, I probably should have responded differently. Like when the teacher <laughs> I was like, that's okay. Like, yeah, I get it. It's fine. And she's yeah. like, no, it's not okay. And I was like, oh shoot, you're right. Put on my normal hat. Like, it's not okay. <laughs> right. Hold on. Social acceptance. Hold on. Uh, hold on. But yeah. yeah, anyway, so I totally oh, get you, but thanks for yeah. relating. <laughs> It's a thing. Okay, before we wrap up today, Kristen, I'm curious if you want to share a little bit about your book and your Instagram and tell people where they can find you. So um, everything is called Heels and Holster. So like all one word together, like at Heels and Holster, I post on Instagram like almost daily. Um, and yeah. I post like funny reels, kind of like other things we're talking about making They're fun of They're super cute. Kind of. I actually really <laughs> enjoy them. Yeah. Thank you. So that kind of turned into me because I tell stories like I did in this podcast. I tell stories like in the captions. Sometimes people, that's like people's favorite part. Sometimes I feel like besides the humor. And so I wrote a book like integrating them. Um, it is a Christian book, but if you aren't Christian, you could still read it. Um, and it's a, it's just called Heels and Holster, all one word together, like together. Um, and then it's a police wife devotional and it's on Amazon and I have like 42 stories and, um, prayers and Bible verses in there to kind of reflect on like what I learned. I call them my like come to Jesus growth moments, um, Um, in my marriage and dating years too, because we dated for so long before. So yeah, Yeah. that's awesome. Well, and I will post, um, links to both of those in our show notes. So if anyone wants to go and hunt you down and find out some more information about those pieces, they can find it there. Thank you so much for having me. It was fun to talk to you. Thanks so much for coming on and making the time, Kristen. It was lovely. We'll talk soon. Okay. Please join me in extending one more big thank you to Kristen for taking time out of her busy day and sharing her journey and experience with us. All of the Heels and Holster resources that she mentioned today will be linked in the show notes, so be sure to go check those out. As we wrap up today, let me remind you that if you value this podcast and want to help us in our mission to support Frontline Wellness, there are three ways you can do just that. Number one, rate and review Behind the Line on Apple Podcast or wherever you're listening. Number two, Follow me on social media at Lindsay A. Foss and engage with me and this amazing little community that we're building there. Every time that you like, comment, and share our posts, you help us to spread like wildfire, thanks to the magic of the algorithm. And number three, share this resource and our other resources with those that you know. If you would like a poster or info cards about the podcast for your workplace, send me an email to support at thrive-life.ca. Know that we can be found online on our website, on most major podcast platforms, as well as on YouTube. 
We make all of our resources available to you because the work you do matters. But more than that, you matter. And we want to make sure that you have what you need to keep up the good work at work, as well as in your real life outside of the work. So use it and share it. And until next time, stay safe.